Is it true that the birth control pill can change your perception of who you're attracted to for a woman? Yeah. That is concerning. What they found was that when women who chose their partners on the pill discontinue the pill, it is associated with changes in how attracted they are to their partner, their sexual satisfaction, and their relationship satisfaction. And what was really fascinating about it is that whether that got better or whether it got worse depended on how attractive their partner was. Lovely. Okay. What about rates of depression and other side effects? And are there specific people who are more prone to this? Research indicates that girls who go on it during their teenagers, that this is something that can put them at risk for having major depressive disorder across their lifetime, even after they go off of it. Oof. Nobody's really paying attention to this, which is kind of BS. Yeah. I've read some stories of women accidentally getting testosterone when they didn't need it and experiencing wild heightened sexual arousal. Do you know anything about that? Is that true? <laughs> this should be a good one. Welcome to my podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this should be a good one. Um, I've been interested in having this conversation for a while because I was on birth control from age 14 to 23, um, originally for skin problems. So I just right. like went to the doctor and they're like, you know, your skin's not great. Here's a birth control pill. And I was like, sweet, no period. That sounds fantastic. Um, and then I think you talked to my mom, right? You're on her podcast. I did. I did. Yes, it was great. She told me as soon as I started taking it, she said, oh, that pill made me really depressed. And m my response was, I'm already really depressed, so I don't care. <laughs> that was like <laughs> the 14-year-old naive response. So right. I think this, this should be a good conversation. I've got a bunch of questions for you. But um, I, th I thought, yeah, I thought we should start off with just, is it true that the birth control pill can change your perception of who you're attracted to for a woman? Yeah, you know, it, that is a possibility. And this is something that um, sort of is rooted in research that's been done for about three decades now. Um, researchers have been finding that uh, women's cycling, their cyclically changing sex hormones uh, play a role in who they're attracted to. And in particular, what this research finds is that when estrogen is high across the cycle, that this is associated with an increased preference for cues related to testosterone markers and like masculinity. And um, so, for example, at high fertility across the cycle, when estrogen is high, we find that women like deeper male voices. They like more masculinized male faces. They're more likely to be attracted to cues of social dominance. And so it's like women really uh. sort of like, like, zero in on, on masculinity markers um, when fertility is high and when estrogen is high across the cycle. And it was only more recently that researchers thought to ask, you know, what happens when we suppress women's estrogen levels with the birth control pill? Um, because when you take the birth control pill, it um, prevents you from ovulating. And it's that process of maturing egg follicles and getting an egg ready to be released that causes the release of, of estrogen. That's one of the primary ways that our body produces estrogen. And um, the pill, by preventing ovulation, keeps estrogen levels really low. And then the, the pill that you take has very low levels of synthetic estrogen in it. And so researchers thought to ask, you know, do women who are on hormonal birth control, because their estrogen levels are low, does this lead them to prefer less masculinized male faces and voices and so on and so forth? And what they find is that that does appear to be true and that women who are on hormonal birth control have a preference for a less masculinized male face. Um, they've done studies where they look at photographs of men who were chosen as partners by women who are on hormonal birth control or off of it. And they put the pictures of the men into two stacks and then they had them evaluated for masculinity as rated by, you know, just an outside group of people who didn't know which men were in which condition. And then they also looked at more objective metrics of masculinity. You can um, look at facial masculinity by looking at things like facial width to height, which are correlated with testosterone levels. 
And what they find is that the part, the men who were chosen by women as partners that were on hormonal birth control is that they had less masculine faces relative to um, the men who were chosen by naturally cycling women, um, which is really mind blowing when you think about it. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, so do you know what percentage of women say that are of like childbearing age are on hormonal birth control? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, in some, so like with college samples, for example, it's almost like 40% of women are on hormonal birth control because they're, you know, trying to get stay unpregnant while they're yeah. getting their degrees yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of like the overall population, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a sizable number. I mean, this is the number one demographic of women who are on it are women in their 20s. And this is usually when women are choosing partners. Um, and so that's, you know, potentially something that could be really consequential for women. Guys, I wanted to talk to you briefly about air purifiers and air quality. I've had various air purifiers for years and I knew air quality was important, but I've learned a lot too much this year after getting sick from mold and I've settled on Air Oasis as my go-to air purifier. I actually reached out to them to see if they'd sponsor me because they're the best air purifier I could find and now I know how important they are. There are a few reasons why I chose Air Oasis. These filter down to 0.03 microns, which is actually important. It means they actually filter partial allergens and mold spores. And it was only recently that I realized most air purifiers filter down to 0.01 microns, which means they miss fragments, which make up the majority of allergens in the air. These also work on VOCs like new paint, gases, viruses, etc. I used to say if you guys have allergies, get one of these. and definitely do. But everyone should actually have one or multiple of these in their house, given the amount of chemicals, molds, and air pollutants we're exposed to. Air Oasis is quiet which is important because a lot of them aren't quiet, sleek, and filters down to the right particle size compared to the majority of other air purifiers. So check them out. Don't just get any air purifier. Investing in one of these is so worth it for your health. They're at aeroasis.com and you can get 10% off with code MP. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Do you think that the correlation between, you said 40% of college students on the pill do you think when they get into relationships, there's a higher likelihood of divorce? You know, that's a really interesting question. And there's kind of two lines of research that point in different directions. Uh, the one line of research is some longitudinal research that's been done of newlywed married couples. And they followed them over time to look at changes in things like sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction over the course of uh, the marriage. And one of the research questions that, the, that they thought to ask was for women who choose their partners when they're on hormonal birth control, um, does their relationship and sexual satisfaction, for example, change um, if they discontinue? And so uh -huh. these researchers followed these women over time. And what they found was that when women who chose their partners on the pill discontinue the pill, it is associated with changes in like how um, attracted they are to their partner, um, and uh, their sexual satisfaction and their relationship satisfaction. And what was really fascinating about it is that whether that got better or whether it got worse depended on how attractive their partner was. Ah, okay. so, <laughs> so, for women, so for women who were partnered to attractive men, when they went off the pill, it was like the blinders came off, you know, and all of a sudden they're having these estrogen changes again. And they're like, oh, yes. Oh, right. Cool. And they're more attracted to their partner and they um, and they're more sexually satisfied. And and then as a result of that, they're also more satisfied in their relationship. But they found that for women who are partnered to less attractive partners, that the opposite happened and that the women became less sexually satisfied, less attracted to their partner, and then their relationship satisfaction decreased. And so it could potentially, you know, when we're choosing our partners on the pill, it could potentially nudge us into the direction of choosing somebody that we're not attracted to. But that doesn't always happen. And so, you know, it, it's like whether it makes it more positive or more negative when you go off of it, a lot of times depends on the partner that you chose. <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes sense. So it's not just like doom and gloom for people who are on birth control and like, oh no, now I'm married and can go off of it. I'm going to see right, my partner yeah, in an entirely different yeah. light. 
Yeah, no, totally. I mean, because when we look at the way that hormones affect like women's brains and they affect women's behavior, it's not like it's like going to move you from here to over here. Instead, it just kind of nudges, it nudges our behavior in different ways, or it might nudge you toward a, you know, more masculinized partner, or it might nudge you toward, you know, somebody who's got this quality or that quality. But it's, um, and for some women, it will, you know, there is the unfortunate circumstance where it can nudge people in a direction that, that when they're off of it, they don't feel attracted to their partner again. But for a lot of women, it's subtle. And for other women, it can actually make um, them feel better and like more attractive to their partner once they're off of it. And so, yeah, not doom and gloom. It just all depends. So, so that's already a weird, I guess you could call it side effect that people weren't yeah. expecting from, from birth control. <laughs> right. What about rates of depression and other side effects? And are there specific people who are more prone to this? Is it random? Right. No, these are really great questions. Um, there's definitely, you know, th there's a lot of research that's pointing in the direction that being on hormonal birth control can increase your risk of anxiety and depression. Um, and this risk seems to be particularly high for young women. So um, women who are like 19 and younger um, seem to be the ones who overwhelmingly uh, shoulder the burden of the greater mental health risks. Um, uh. And researchers really don't know exactly why that is, but I would assume that it has something to do with the fact that the brain is still developing and that our ability to regulate our emotions is still developing at that time. And that changing that and changing our hormones um, isn't something that our, our mood and our, our sort of emotion regulation system is able to handle very well. There's also research that indicates that girls who go on it um, go on hormonal birth control during adolescence, so during their teenage years that this is something that can put them at risk for having major depressive disorder across their lifetime, even after they go off of it. Oof. And this is something I know. And this is something that's really concerning to me. And it's very concerning to a lot of researchers because nobody's really paying attention to this. Um, and there's so many doctors out there who do exactly what yours did. And they prescribe hormonal birth control to teenage girls for things like acne or having irregular cycles or having bad cramps without understanding that when you take hormones and you shut down your brain ovary, you know, ovarian axis during development, that this could potentially have long-term consequences in terms of brain development because our brain is still developing and our sex hormones play an important role in the pubertal transition that goes on and, and that post-pubertal brain development is very much influenced in important ways by our sex hormones. And so that's something that, um, you know, hasn't been very well studied. There aren't nearly enough studies that have investigated the links of a teenage pill use on long-term outcomes. But the work that has been done, like I said, is not painting a very positive picture. And it seems like there's a potential risk there. Um, and in terms of like who is affected, you know, and, and one of the risk factors, as mentioned, is, you know, being a teenager. And so we know that teenagers are at a greater risk of this than um, than other women. But there seems to be even in adult women, like there is an increased risk. So many studies find that um, there's an increased risk, particularly with um, the progestin only pill. So that's the one that's now uh. available over the counter. Um, that one is a, like is always I mean, almost almost every time they study it, they find that being on that type of uh, birth control is um, predicts a greater risk of developing anxiety and depression. Um, oh. Another. Yeah. Which is concerning to me. Like, I, I think it's great that we're allowing greater access to birth control, particularly in this sort of post row dystopian world that we're living in at the moment. Um, which I don't think is very good for women's health, but um, it's really concerning that women will take this without anybody know, you know, knowing that they're on it, which could potentially be really devastating um, if you're a girl who just starts taking this birth yeah. control and developing a mood disorder and you don't know what's wrong with you because most of the time when we develop a mood disorder from a drug, it's not like we think, oh, you know, gosh, yep. my drug is making me feel bad. We just think, oh, I'm depressed. Um, you know, we don't think about it that way. And so I, I, I do worry about that. Um, that one, any non-oral product is associated with a greater risk of depression. Like they tend to huh. find that pretty regularly. So the hormonal IUD, the vaginal ring, the implant, the shot, 
um, those are the ones that tend to have the greatest risk. Um, the combined pill um, is also found to be associated with an increased risk of anxiety and depression, but the rate of that is lower than it is for these. Um, wow. Yeah, for the the like um, the non-oral products or for the progestin-only pill. Um, and so d different products have different risk profiles. And then lastly, there's also individual differences that we just don't understand. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the research isn't in a isn't in a position right now like where we can tell women like you. Michaela are at an increased risk of developing depression from this. Um, and so we need a lot more research into um, the different types of factors that influence women's risk factors, because some women have a great experience on hormonal birth control. They feel great and they don't have any problems at all. And other women have, you know, a list of side effects 10 miles long. And we're not yet medicine isn't in a, in a place yet where we can make good recommendations for who's going to respond what way to what thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's very complicated. I know, yeah. um, like, I, I suppose if you were looking into this, you would assume that people who are already kind of on the anxious side might respond more. But um, I have this friend, one of my best friends in Toronto, who's a very bubbly person and wasn't prone to anxiety like I was as a teenager. Uh, and she went on the pill and after a couple of weeks, she was crying every day, which concerned me because I figured people who are already kind of prone to anxiety are the ones that are going to get depressed on birth control. But then this bubbly person turned into like a crying mess after a couple of weeks. Um, right. But to comment on one thing you said, first of all, I didn't realize there was any type of birth control that was available over the counter now. Is yeah. that just in a, that like, and is it marketed as lower hormone? Cause it's only one of the hormones. I don't know if it's marketed as lower hormone. I know that the reason that they uh, allowed that one to be available over the counter is because um, the greater risk of, you know, like a uh, heart attack and stroke and that sort of thing from birth control comes from the estrogen in it. Um, and so oh. they, they need this one available because it's uh, the synthetic progesterone or progestin only. And so because of that way, it's safer in terms of your heart and, you know, your blood vessels and your cardiovascular system, but it's less safe in terms of mental health because it is um, the one that's got the worst uh, side effect profile by a mile. That and anything that's progestin only, like that project, like the birth control shot is also progestin only. And that's also got a side effect rap sheet that's worse than many of the other types of birth control out there. So how did these, how did these get like shuttled through and made available to everybody? Like, didn't they do testing and see any of these side effects so that at least when you got a prescription, a doctor could be like, Hey, you know, it might work for you, but if you're experiencing weeping every day and these like strong right. emotions, maybe don't stay on it for 10 years and attribute it to something else. Like it could be the pill. Right. Yeah. No, I think that the reason that they made it available is because they wanted to have something that was available that was reliable and easy to use um, because of what happened with the Dobbs decision and overturning the, you know, row. And I think that it was like when they made, um, you know, they, they removed the guarantee of um, legality of abortions for women. They figured, well, we have to do something to try to prevent women from getting into this position and so I think that that was the decision that everybody sort of landed on is that this would be something that would be positive for women's reproductive health, which in some ways it is. I mean, preventing unwanted pregnancies is like one of the best things that we can do societally um, for women, just because um, like the biggest predictor of ending up in poverty as a woman is, is a teenage pregnancy. And, um, and so like there's benefits that way. But as you noted, I mean... The, the thing that makes me nuts, and of course, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I'm going to say this, but people don't take mental health risks as seriously as they do physical health risks. So, for example, you know, like the, the risk of a heart attack and stroke, for example, is seen as a safety issue. Right. And so they're like, oh, well, this, you know, um, the the pill that has estrogen in it has a safety risk. And so, you know, blah, 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 blah. But like a mental health risk isn't seen as a safety risk. It's just seen as sort of a nuisance side effect, which is kind of BS. I mean, because yeah. when you think about it, you know, it's like you think about how important your mental health is. And you also consider like what the suicide rate is right now. 
Um, and I mean, you know, depression, like severe depression can be deadly. Um, yeah. it can be because it causes people to take their own lives and it, and it ruins the quality of lives. And, um, and I don't know if this is what you were alluding to, but I mean, I know myself, I was on the birth control pill for over 10 years myself. And I used to have this narrative about myself where I believed that I was anxious and, and a little melancholy and depressed. And that's not me at all. But I believed that to be true of myself because I was on it for all these years and I had these spells of anxiety and depression. And then when I went off of it, I realized that that wasn't me. And then I didn't even really know who I was and that that was this totally different experience for me. Yeah, I think I think people completely underestimate this. I had a similar experience. It was a little bit more complicated because I was also on an antidepressant. And I started the antidepressant before I started the birth control. So I already had the narrative that I was miserably depressed, which is why I told my mom, I don't care. Like, well, add a little depression on this mess of depression. It's not going to make a difference anyway. Um, but I don't like, I, I know also from having arthritis throughout my life, I know that the depression was worse than the arthritis. Like I would have chosen the arthritis because you can deal with some pain like when you get a cold, you can deal with not feeling good physically, but when it hits your brain, that is a completely other, like that's a completely different story. It's, it's life altering changes your perception of who you are. Like you said, your perception of other people, your perception of what you're capable of, like it can just destroy your life. And then you said you were on it for 10 years, which is like, that's an entire decade of your life. Yeah, that, no, I know. That's terrible. Yeah, no, it is terrible. And it, it really concerns me that, you know, when you have this available, and like I said, I feel very ambivalent about it. Because on the one hand, I think that we need to do everything that we can societally to help make sure that uh, women who are trying to avoid pregnancy are able to do so, um, just because of, you know, what we know about the risks of um, ending up in poverty and not being able to continue educational goals and so on and so forth for women who end up unexpectedly pregnant. But at the same time, um, having this pill available over the counter when nobody's being supervised and have other people watching them to say, hey, you know, you haven't really been yourself the last couple of weeks. Um, what's going on um, is, is worrying because then these girls um, can end up in a situation where they're miserably depressed. Nobody knows what's wrong with them. And there's a really easy solution to it you know, to fix that. Um, and, and, and it has to do with their birth control. Yikes. So for people, if you said 40% of approximately 40% of college aged women are well, on women in college, women in college, right? Women in so college, college sorry. women who are in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So if people are friends with someone or if they're in a relationship with someone who's experiencing heightened anxiety and they're on the pill, are there resources that they can say, hey, maybe you should check out, I mean, obviously you, and you have a mm -hmm. book, right? That maybe people yes. could go read and say, just so you know, this could be happening to you. Right, no, absolutely. And in my book, um, which is This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, one of the things that I talk about is the different types of hormonal birth control, because there's like four different generations of what are known as progestins, which is that synthetic progesterone that's in the pill. And there's like four different categories of those. And so, for example, if a woman is experiencing depression and she's on hormonal birth control, she can like look and see what's in hers. And I've got a list on there of like popular birth controls that are out there and which, you know, which one tends to fall into what category. And the best thing that women can do is just even start troubleshooting by going to their doctor and saying, hey, you know, I'm on this pill. I feel my mental health is in the toilet. Um, I'm on something that has a second generation progestin in it. Let's try a fourth generation progestin pill and then trying something different because these, the synthetic progesterone that's in hormonal birth control is, um, is, is different depending on what sort of category it falls into. And they do very different things in the body. Um, so just to give you an example, uh, a second generation progestin is actually synthesized from testosterone. And because of that, in addition to um, stimulating progesterone receptors, it also stimulates testosterone receptors. 
And wow. it also stimulates glucocorticoid receptors. Yeah, so it, it has this really messy, it can have really messy nonspecific effects in the brain and in the body. Um, but then like a fourth generation progestin, for example, is synthesized from um, a diuretic called spirolectolone. And it also, it stimulates, I mean, it, it's just like everything is messy. All these progestins are messy and they all do something a little bit different because they affect different receptors in the brain and in the rest of the body. And so if you don't like a prescription of a birth control that you're on, um, but you really are motivated to be on hormonal birth control, um, I give really, um, I give recommendations, like actionable recommendations for what women can do to then you know, try to find something different that they like better and that their body responds differently to. So is it dependent on the person or do you think that there are classes of birth control that have the least amount of side effects? Yeah, they all have side effects um, and all of them are sort of like different. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, for example, with the second generation uh, progestins, for example, like you tend to get um, some side effects that are related to masculinization because of the testosterone receptors. And so oh. you'll get like skin breakouts <laughs> and some women will like grow, start growing facial hair and you get water retention. Um, but then the fourth generation progestins are actually anti-androgenic. And so your skin clears up and you look really good. But then because it's, blo it's blocking testosterone, you, a lot of times you can get um, decreases in libido. And so it's like with each one of these, you end up, it's like pick your poison, you know? And so it's really about understanding um, what the, the different side effects are of these different types of progestins and then sort of picking the one that works the best for your body and then for your individual goals. Because for some women, having clear skin is going to be more important than it is for others, for example. And so women, if you know that, then you can go and you can sort of start to do a semi-customization of your birth control based on your goals. But to get at one of the other points you raised, and that's that you know, the way that each person metabolizes all of those different synthetic hormones is also going to differ. And so, for example, you and I could be on the exact same formula of hormonal birth control and have vastly different responses. Like it could make, you could like ruin your sex drive and make your skin look amazing. And like, for me, it could make my skin look terrible, but not affect my sex drive. It's like, um, and we're not unfortunately at a place yet with research where we can make good predictions about who's going to respond what way to what thing. And so a lot of it for women ends up being a crapshoot. Um, and I do like to think that um, the information I provide in my book provides a starting point for allowing women to be able to at least have some footing in terms of where to get started in terms of what pill might work best for their body. I hope you guys had a fantastic Halloween. I dressed up like a cow. If you woke up feeling like garbage after because you drank and you don't normally drink, or maybe you do normally drink, but you still felt bad and you haven't tried my after party pill, try it. I don't need to interrupt you for very long. It works to significantly reduce your hangover and help you break down acetaldehyde. Studies are available on the website. I wouldn't be shilling this out if it didn't actually work because that is a great way to destroy your brand. I wouldn't want to do that. 30 day money, well, not just that. I also don't like lying. So these work. 30 day money back guarantee, code MP for 15% off. That code won't be around forever available at fullerhealth.com. We'll be rolling out more supplements in the future with no fillers, just pure ingredients like this one. This is pure dihydromyricetin. These actually work. They work how you want them to work, unlike birth control. Enjoy the rest of this episode. So do you have kids or no kids? I do. I've got two. Okay. Uh, do you have any daughters? I do. My oldest is a daughter. So I have a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, okay. So what, like, what was your, if you don't mind, what was your discussion with her? Cause I know what my discussion would be, but I'm so far, I got so hurt from psych medications. Really. I don't even know what birth control was doing because the psych medication side effects were so bad, but yeah. my, like my response now, which is probably I've gone so far in the other direction of just avoid everything. They all have side effects. Who knows what they're doing to you? And they're like sneaky side effects. You won't figure out. Just don't take anything. Like that's my response. But then it does come with the risk of unwanted pregnancy. Like it does. Um, what like, 
what do you tell people to do? That's a really, that's like, well, no, I mean, this, this is the $8 million question, right? I mean, this is the thing that I talk with my friends about and other researchers about. Um, and in fact, the last chapter of my book is called, um, what now a letter to my daughter. And okay. it's like, yeah. And it sort of discusses like what, uh, what to think about when you're thinking about whether to go on hormonal birth control or not. And then if you're going to be on it, like what type to, to choose and like, what are some of the considerations that you want to make when you're making that decision? Just because whether it's going to be right or not right for each individual woman is going to depend on her unique life circumstances and her goals and her values. And so I don't like to make any sort of indication about what anybody should do. Instead, I just like raise like, what are some of the things you should think about when you are making a decision about going on birth control? And like one of them is like, yeah, do do I need to be on it? Am I in a sexual relationship or not? Um, and, you know, like, what are my career goals? Like how how terrible would it be if I had an unprotected pregnancy right now? Because like for a married woman who's considering having kids soon anyway, that might not be catastrophic. But for an 18 year old, it probably would be. And so, you know, it just sort of delineates what some of those questions are. But um, I mean, it's really hard. Like the thing that I think is terrible for women is that we are in this position where, you know, fertility regulation is the most important thing for us in terms of our ability to ensure um, that we can meet our educational goals and our career goals. And, um, and we just don't have a lot of good options um, for birth control. I mean, there's barrier methods like condoms and that sort of thing, which, you know, work, they're not perfect. Um, but of course, they're inconvenient. And a lot of times people don't like them. Um, then you've got, you know, and you've also got the, um, the uh, uh, diaphragm, which is another barrier method, which is a little cup that goes in, um, you put it up in your vagina, and you snap it, over the end of your cervix and, um, and that prevents, it serves as a barrier between, you know, uh, the vaginal canal and then the cervix, um, which can prevent pregnancy and use spermicide with that. Um, and that also, but again, that's not perfect. I think that the, I don't know what the failure rate is, but it's, it's higher than it is for hormonal birth control. And then there's the IUD, you know, and the copper IUD doesn't have hormones. Um, and so that's like positive. Um, but, uh, it does create a little bit of an inflammatory response in the cervix and uterus area. And for women who are really sensitive to inflammation and some women are really sensitive to it, others are less so, um, it can also cause, um, uh, psychological side effects. It's huh. very rare, but it does happen. Um, just because some women are really sensitive to, um, fluctuating levels of, uh, inflammatory markers, even at very low levels. Um, and then you've got, you know, like uh, the fertility awareness method, which is where you track your cycle and then you have unprotected sex during the time in the cycle when conception is not possible, which for the last two weeks of your cycle during the luteal phase after you've um, ovulated uh, more than 24 hours ago, you can have sex safely without worrying about pregnancy for about two weeks, um, a little bit more than that. So some women will do that. But that one's got a little bit of a high failure rate as well, just because, you know, not everybody's going to be able to perfectly track their cycle. And I certainly wouldn't recommend that to my 16 year old daughter. You know, I was like, she can hardly keep track of where her lunchbox is. <laughs> you know? I'm not going to have her like tracking her cycle to keep track of um, fertility. And so, you know, for her and, and for, you know, me having conversations with her um, is like when she's ready to like if she needs uh, contraception I think that the first thing that we're gonna try is the non-hormonal IUD just because it's so um, it's so good at pre preventing pregnancy and that's something that especially at a young age for women is so super important and it's not going to be changing her hormone levels which uh, to for me as somebody who knows about brain development and then the potential you know elevated risk of developing anxiety and depression over the course of the lifetime is I'm really motivated to keep her off of synthetic hormones until she's at least 20. And then at that point, we can start considering whether or not a combination hormonal birth control pill, because if I was going to recommend a hormonal product to an adult woman whose brain is done developing, I would say try one of the 
combination birth control pills because those do seem to be the ones with the least amount of side effects. Hmm. Okay. That's all good. That seems wise. Yeah. It, it, it's tricky. Being female is tricky. It really is tricky. I mean, I think that one <laughs> of the things that's really frustrating to me is that, you know, women have been talking about having side effects from birth control forever. I mean, this isn't a new conversation. Um, and yet there's no innovation being made in this space. I mean, there's just not investment by the drug companies um, back into coming up with new ways for women to um, prevent pregnancy. Um, instead, you know, the only R&D that's really being done is they're looking to create a birth control pill for men, which is a step in the right direction in terms of fairly shouldering the burden of contraception within a couple. But at the same time, it's just shifting the problem from women onto men. And that's not the right answer either. So it's like, OK, the, what they have out there right now is something that keeps men's testosterone levels so low that they oh. don't produce sperm. And it's like, that's not what we need, you know, as a society to be like making all of our men have really low levels of testosterone because testosterone affects a lot more than sperm production. It affects motivational states, you know, and all sorts of other things, your desire and ability to compete. I mean, it affects a lot of different stuff. And so like, do we really want to be doing that? I mean, it's like, I like the idea of having that available as an option. So that way it's not just women who have to make tough choices. But at the same time, that's not what we need. What we need is something that's totally different because like you, it's like, I feel very much, you know, my background is in evolutionary biology. I understand our body as being this like really brilliant machine where we, we've inherited all of these traits that have helped our ancestors survive and reproduce. And, you know, our body is so nicely regulated on its own and then to like do things like alter our hormones as a way to um to protect ourselves from pregnancy is just not the best idea you know like staying away from all of that stuff i think is um if you're able to do it is 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 good for the body it'd be nice in theory if there was a pill you could just take and like oh your skin clears up you feel fine nothing changes and you can avoid unwanted pregnancies until you're ready to have a kid. That sounds right. great. And that's how it's sold, right? That's yes. basically how it's sold. Yeah. Ridiculous. So then is this a like progestin issue mainly? Like what happens when women go through menopause? And then I know a lot of women supplement hormones after menopause. Are they screwed then too? No. So here's the thing. And it's, it really is a progestin thing. So that synthetic progesterone okay. that's in hormonal birth control does all kinds of ridiculous, crazy things in the body. Um, just because the body, the binding is nonspecific, as I mentioned, like you'll have, okay. they'll stimulate testosterone receptors and they'll stimulate glucocorticoid receptors and they'll do all sorts of things that they're not really, you know, supposed to do. And all of those things together create this experience of really weird side effects. And the other thing that happens is just keeping women's own endogenous levels of sex hormones really low. Because essentially what you're doing when you're taking the pill is you're shutting down the brain ovary axis and you're not producing any hormones. And that's a really unusual state for the female body to be in. We are very much hormonal creatures. And, you know, the, the experience that women have when they're going through uh, menopause is what happens, like women oftentimes feel terrible because their hormone levels are really low and that doesn't feel normal for them. And so their bodies feel bad and, you know, they get mood swings and they get vaginal dryness and some other things that are the result of having low levels of uh, sex hormone. And when women do a menopausal hormone therapy, which is where they're taking synthetic hormones, um, to try to increase their hormone levels to ease that transition, that oftentimes makes women feel a lot better than they do in the absence of it. And uh, these these hormones are are pretty much biologically identical. And so when you're doing menopausal uh -huh. hormone therapy, you're taking a synthetic estrogen, which um, is very similar to what you have in the pill. The synthetic estrogen really isn't the problem. It's those synthetic progestins that are so goofy. And when you're doing menopausal hormone therapy, you um, you actually take uh, a bioidentical um, progesterone. So you actually take micronized progesterone instead of taking a progestin. 
And so um, huh. that actually ends up being a lot better for women. And j- just to give you an example of, of why that's true, it like in addition to the fact that, uh, you know, synthetic progestins will bind to hormone receptors that have nothing to do with progesterone and can make you feel kind of crazy. Um, progesterone, like the real deal progesterone that our body creates and then also is in micronized progesterone that women use in uh, uh, hormone therapy um, when that gets metabolized by the body, it actually releases a neurosteroid called allopregnanolone that is like really positive for mental health. And so it's something that's very calming. It um, it, it uh, helps to facilitate GABAergic activity in the brain, which slows the brain down and makes it feel calm and relaxed. And um, so taking progesterone, you get all of these nice um, neurological benefits that are calming and relaxing, but with the synthetic progestins, because they aren't even synthesized from progesterone, you don't get that because when the body is metabolizing the synthetic progestin, there's no neurosteroid. There, there's no allopregnanolone. There's nothing calming and relaxing. Instead, you're just metabolizing a wonky version of testosterone, for example, in the ones that are made out of um, testosterone. And so you don't get... Wow. Yeah, no, it's a totally different ball game than regular progesterone. And um, sometimes I think progesterone, our natural hormone, and the one that women take in menopausal hormone therapy, um, gets a bad rap as being this like, you know, negative, bad mood hormone, um, just because people are confusing it with the synthetic progesterone that's in the pill that makes people feel terrible. Okay, I didn't know any of that. I was like, all the research I did on birth control. And then I got, you know, like I said, spooked out from spooked out to say the least from, (laughs) from other medications. Um, I was worried about, yeah, what to do after menopause. I mean, do you go, Oh, natural. What if you're really suffering? Can you take any of those? Is it the same thing as taking uh, birth control? I had no idea that that was actually a different form of progesterone. Cause I know when you get pregnant, right, your progesterone skyrockets and isn't yeah. that supposed to make you kind of feel calm during pregnancy? So then how yeah. could it be the opposite with birth control? Why don't they just exactly. use the same, couldn't they just use the same progesterone as they use to treat like postmenopausal symptoms? Right. That, you know, I love that question because I had the exact same question. Like I went to, um, because I'm not an MD, so I'm not a doctor, you know, but I'm a research psychologist. So I study everything from the neck up. And I was like, why in the world are birth control pills made from this synthetic trash, you know, instead of like using this other thing that's good? And here was the, and here's the answer I was given. Um, so the first part of the answer is it took a really long time um, for researchers uh, to be able to figure out how to make a solid, like a, a version of progesterone that you can take as a tablet or like as a, as a pill that would pass the reproductive, that would pass the digestive tract and be able to be absorbed in the body. And so it took um, it took them a long time to be able to do that. And, uh, and so th- it wasn't available. Micronized progesterone has- wasn't really available until the- I don't know how many years now. But it-, it was after birth control pills had sort of come on the scene, uh-huh. right? But then now that it is available and that we use it for things like menopausal hormone therapy and that sort of thing. Um, why isn't, why aren't we using it in, in birth control? And the answer I was given was that you would have to take it in such high doses to ensure that you're not, um, going to, uh, allow your brain to start stimulating your ovaries. Cause you have to have high levels of progesterone for your brain to not tell your ovaries to produce an egg, which is how, um, the birth control pill works is that you'd have to take it in such high doses that it would make women just like way too tired. And because it makes you like when you take synthetic or when you take um, bioidentical progesterone, it makes you sleepy and some other things and that you'd have to take it in such high doses that it might have an like intolerable side effects. But that being said, I've never seen it being tried. You know, I've never seen that. I've never heard of anybody trying to do that. And, um, and, I, and I think that it's a fascinating alternative to at least try that to see whether that's something that's possible. Um, and, and, and I don't know the answer to that. Like I said, I'm not an MD, um, but the MDs I talked to when I asked them about that, that, that was their answer was that, you know, you, you, the dosage that you have to take is, is really high to ensure 
that you're preventing pregnancy and that it would just not be something that was very well tolerated by most women. But we haven't tried it. And the severe side effect of depression and choosing a slightly different mate is definitely better than being too right, relaxed tired. and fatigued. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I don't understand. Like, like <laughs> I said, that's always been my question. And I was thinking like, because I talked to a naturopathic doctor about this, because I was thinking, surely she would have tried this, you know, with yeah. her patients. Yeah. And she was like, no, I just, I, I don't think that that would work because I think it'd be, you'd have to take it in too high a doses. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to like, let's try that. <laughs> like, let's try yeah, it. That's weird. Yeah. That's no, very I agree. strange. Yeah. Huh. Okay. It'd be fun if like anybody who's listening to your podcast and they're um, are, like sort of well-versed in the mechanics of birth control, like in terms of uh, how it, like why that would be impossible. I'm, I'm just always looking for, you know, like, why is that impossible? Because it seems to me like that's a great idea. Like, why can't we do it? And the, there's one answer yeah. that's also out there, which is that, you know, you can't patent progesterone. Uh, but you can patent progestin. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that might have something to do with it as well. That's so infuriating. Okay. This is going, this is going in. I had no idea about that makes total sense. That makes more sense. I always thought the birth control, like I said, kind of mimicked pregnancy and it was kind of made from bioidentical hormones because that's pretty much what you're told. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no, and it's, and it's not, and it essentially, it, it makes it, it has a hormonal profile that's similar to the second half of your menstrual cycle, which is when after you've ovulated and your body is releasing progesterone and estrogen. And so that daily hormone pill that you take every day is sort of mimicking that hormonal message. It's relatively high levels of the synthetic progesterone or progestin, and then low levels of estrogen. And you take that every day and it makes the brain think that it doesn't need to stimulate the ovaries to uh, release an egg. But like you said, I mean, it's, it's not progesterone, it's a progestin. And so it's stimulating progesterone receptors, but then it's also doing a bunch of other stuff. And, um, and a lot of that other stuff is what makes women feel bad. Lovely. I, I think also part of the danger of like putting girls on it when they haven't experienced cycles properly, like, like say when they're 14, because I think I was, I literally think I started taking it like right after I got my period. Um, I didn't even know what a cycle felt like psychologically. And so it wasn't until right. I was 23 and I stopped taking it and was like, oh, I can actually tell what the first week feels like. And the second week I can feel what ovulation feels like. I know when like I'm more inclined to work on the second half of my cycle where I'm, I'm just not like, I'm not as interested. Like I'm going to get down to business, start working. Whereas the first half of the cycles, I'm kind of like floofy and more social and things. So, and it was fun. It was like, oh, that's what being females like. I was just stuck in this weird work mode and with who knows how much extra anxiety for like almost 10 years from the that's pill. That's so it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, that's so interesting because I've heard from so many women that exact same experience and I had that exact same experience myself where I felt like I was, I mean, I went and I got my PhD and I did all of these things, but I was just like, yeah, down to business, you yeah. know, just like do, do, do. And then when I went off of it and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel sexy. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't realize that. I was missing out on that this all this time. And and you're right. I mean, it's like not being able to experience that until you go off of it. It's like, what a shame. Yeah. I got the, the weirdest thing I think that happened to me is I started to be able to, and this was kind of gross too, but around when I was ovulating, I started to be able to smell people that I was walking by. So I'd walk yes. by someone and be like, they have a smell I can smell. I haven't smelled that smell before. Like, what is that? And I noticed it was when I was ovulating, I could smell people, which is, I was like, that's really animalistic and basic that I just didn't have before weird. That's, that's so interesting. So there was actually a study done. And I talk about this in my book, where they find that very thing where women right near um, what we call the fertile window. So during that period of time, right prior to ovulation, 
um, and in right at ovulation, um, where you get uh, increased in sensory sensitivity and women are uh, like their ability to like detect the scent of things like testosterone metabolites, for example, increases relative to what's seen outside that cycle. Yeah. And and pill taking women don't get that. They don't have that experience. Um, And they've also done some research with the pill looking at um, women's ability to identify genetically compatible partners, like based on scent cues. And generally what you find is that um, women right near high fertility, that they can, um, they exhibit a preference for the scent of men who are sort of um, immunologically, genetically compatible. And what you see is that like right near high fertility, that women, you know, experience this preference for the scent of these genetically compatible men. And for women who are on hormonal birth control, there's nothing. There's like, no, they never get that increased preference for genetically compatible men. It said they have this like overall, like flat line, there's no preference at all. And so this is another way that taking the pill could potentially get you in a relationship with somebody that you don't like. And in fact, one of the women I talked to in the process of writing my book was talking about scent and she ended up getting a divorce after um, she discontinued the pill because she didn't like the way that her husband smelled. And it was all that very thing that you're talking about um, where she just didn't know. It's not that he smelled bad. He just didn't smell right. Yeah. And that, that could sound, I'm sure people will take that the wrong way. Like, Oh, how is that a reason to get a divorce? But like, if somebody smells good, they smell really good. Like, yeah, yeah, it's no, but strong. Just idea, yeah, it's strong. And, and the idea that that, I mean, it's not so much like, oh, it was just smell, but it was like, it, yeah, it, but yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, but that really plays an important role in attraction. And, and it's something that I don't think men understand because there's research that shows that, you know, women, um, scent is something that we're a lot more sensitive to and it influences our uh, attraction and partner choice. Um, to a much greater extent than it does for men. For men, it's it's not even really a, a, something that's very important, and women are a lot more sensitive to it. And it does it 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 affects attraction. Is there any way for men to hack that? Like, say they're suffering from. Oh, also, I wanted to talk. You said there's the male birth control pill that seems to just flatten testosterone, which like nobody is going to want to take that. Like, no I know, man I know. is going to want to take not- that. That, that was like literally when I first read the the news story about like they're creating this pill that lowers testosterone. I'm like, perfect. Have these people, have these people met men? <laughs> like, do they know any men? Like, I don't know a single man who would be like, yes, please. I'll take one of those. Yeah. Like, no way. They're feeling a little too motivated. I'm feeling a little too motivated today. Let's take an anti-testosterone pill. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nuts? I just think it's crazy. Who's going to take that? Okay. Yeah. No, not no one. And nobody like women wouldn't even want men to take that. That seems like a terrible idea. Um, no, it does. Is there, so in regards to scent, do you know anything about, is there any way for men to hack this? Like, is it just about raising testosterone and maybe they'll smell better? Are there things they can do? That's a great, that's a great question. There was actually a study that came out just a couple of years ago that showed that um, for men who are like, who don't like smell sort of good to women or whatever, um, they can actually improve their attractiveness to partners just by good old fashioned cologne. Um, and what research finds is that it's, it's actually really fascinating is that if you have um, men who are sort of on a range of, um, you know, masculinity and so you have like the really masculine guys and you have guys who are less masculine Um, And you have women uh, like rating their attraction to the man by looking at a photo and like smelling the man. Um, What you get is that uh, for men who are less masculine, you get this increase in attraction just based on the presence of cologne. Um, And it brings those men up to the same level as the masculine guys. But for masculine guys, it does nothing for them. Like it doesn't improve their attractiveness because they already smell attractive to women. And so it seems wow. like the sort of musky scent that tends to underlie um, male cologne that, you know, it's like chemists have been like working on trying to make that smell just right to women for a really long time seems to be tapping into the to the right thing. And it does seem to um, attract women in the same way. 
um, as um, as just good old fashioned, you know, cues of uh, testosterone within the the sweat glands. That's so sneaky. I know. That's and it was so just why sneaky. Like, which is why it's like, um, if you're going to get together with somebody, like, like maybe without cologne, like how about no cologne? Like, I just like, let's spend some time together without cologne. It's like spending time together without makeup. Let's just, yeah, totally. let's That's just so funny. see what's going on here. <laughs> That's so funny. I was talking to uh, graduate students of mine about tests, relationship tests. And that was one that the guys were like, yeah, you hang out with a girl with no makeup on and that's that's your test and now i love it so here's the female equivalent no cologne no deodorant nothing just i need to smell you and uh, that should be a test for women i like that i i completely agree uh that's great okay do you think in the future there's going to be any solutions here or is what people are playing with too complicated because of all the hormones involved and like trying to stop I feel like trying to stop a body from getting pregnant which is what bodies want to do really yes is so complicated that is it even like do you see it even as a possibility that doesn't come with a host of side effects in the future we have condoms I mean yeah no, no, everyone hates them but yeah exactly I think that there you know I so I feel hopeful I think it's going to end up being something totally outside the box and so just to give you an example um, of something that's actually being worked on right now, and I don't know whether or not this is going to end up panning out to anything or not, but there is this, um, apparently there's some like vitamin A derivative that our body is like some breakdown product of vitamin A that our bodies use in sperm production. And it seems like it's only used in sperm production. Like they're doing a lot of um, research right now in animal models to make sure that it's only used and, and that the body doesn't need it for other things. Um, but so far it seems like really promising in that that's the only thing it's really used for. And, um, and it's being used to test whether if you take something that blocks that, does that prevent sperm production in men without having any other side effects? Um, which would be really fascinating if that's true. You know, another thing is like, I think it's going to take outside the box thinking. Like I'm, I'm just thinking like, imagine that you have like some sort of a little thing that can in your fallo like a fallopian tube where the egg can like fall out or something. Like, I think it's going to end up, we're going to have to come up with something that's just totally different than anything that we've done before. And um, so I think that like outside the box thinking is going to be really important for this. I mean, I also think that there's a lot, you know, it's uh, using, uh, so for example, I use uh, Natural Cycles, which um, uses the Aura Ring, and so it tracks my basal body temperature, and it's really good at, um, like, telling me when, and, and I know also when I'm in the fertile window, I'm just yeah. I'm pretty in tune with my body, um, but I think that technology and things that measure daily body temperature and apps and that sort of thing that can help isolate the fertile window for women so that way they can you know do something else for birth control or use some form of birth control just during the periods of time when they need it over the cycle yeah. I think is also like one of the ways that we're headed um and so I'm hopeful that um our ability to successfully predict when women are in their fertile window gets better so that way it's more reliable for women and they can feel more confident in that as a birth control method but um, yeah, I, I feel hopeful that something's out there, but it's going to have to get away from hormones. I mean, there's just no way to not profoundly affect the entire organism, you know, with that when you would change a person's hormonal profile, it's just impossible. I feel like that's the right track because there's only like, how many days a month are women actually fertile? Like five. And then if you have, so say you have sex eight days before, mm -hmm. it, the sperm's in you long enough, you know, th there's still a likelihood you can get pregnant or is it really this five day window of having sex that you can get pregnant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about five to seven days in okay. which, um, yeah, that, that sex that you have on that day could potentially lead to conception and it's the okay. five to six, five to six days prior to ovulation and then within 24 hours of ovulation. Um, and so after you, it's been 24 hours since you've ovulated, you're home free. 
and you're generally home free about the first week of your cycle. So the first day of bleeding for about seven days, you're generally home free. But that's not always the case. Sometimes a women will have a, you know, short um, follicular phase and that sort of thing. And which is why it's always a little tricky to just give a rule of thumb like that, because you could give uh-huh. a rule of thumb and then somebody ends up pregnant. So um, but as a general rule of thumb, not to be used as birth control, um, that first seven days of your cycle are usually reasonably safe. After you know you've ovulated, if it's been 24 hours, you're generally safe for about almost two weeks. So. Okay. So I've got, a, I have a cu- couple of questions. One, when you're taking this, say you're taking the birth control pill that stops your cycle for like three months, or it does something for three months. And then it says there's like a bunch of sugar pills. You take those for a week and you bleed. Is it actually uterine lining given the fact you haven't ovulated? Like what's going on right. there? Yeah, no, it's not uterine lining. Cause you're not, what um, is it? it's just blood. It's just essentially when you have a hormone crash in your body, that um, sends a signal to your um, to your endometrial layer to to start to um, shed and 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 release blood flow, and so that's really all that that is. There's a little bit of uterine lining because like there's a tiny bit of estrogen, and especially in these combination pills, and estrogen is proliferative and causes the cells in the um, uterine lining to proliferate, and so there's a l- little bit of it, but not much. So. The, the period that you have on the pill isn't really a period. It's um, it's just a withdrawal bleed. Mm. Okay. That's, yeah, okay. I And then <laughs> the other question. And that's also is why, it- like, <laughs> oh, oh, I was going to say, that, that's, that's another reason why, um, you know, for a lot of women who have been on the pill for a while and then they go off of it, they're, they find that their periods are a lot more gnarly <laughs> than they were, you know, before um, when they were on the pill. Like, because those, you know, the period that you have when you're on the pills, it tends to be very light because there's not a lot of endometrial uh. material. And then, like, once you actually start shedding oh endometrial lining, it can be a little bit, like, um, like whoa, uh, surprising to women just because it, it's a little bit of a different beast. Than so that's, the, why it, that's why it improves your period, yeah, because you're not proliferating, your uh, uterine lining isn't proliferating, and so you're not having as much, there's not all those contractions and everything else, you don't have as many cramps, there's not as much material with your with your period as you get when you're naturally cycling, which um, sometimes with some women can be, you know, have clots in it and other things, which is totally normal when you are shedding an endometrial lining. Huh. Okay. And then that makes, that makes more sense. And then is it possible to ovulate twice? in a month. Does that ever no, happen? I mean, it can, if you have two eggs at one time, like sometimes okay. two eggs will get released and then you end up with fraternal twins. Um, okay. you know, and if both of them implants, but that is very, it's pretty rare. Um, but you won't ever get a case where you will ovulate, um, and then, uh, and then ovulate like a week later and then end up with yeah. like a sequ- sequential pregnancy. Okay. So that can't happen. So then mostly the variation is just ovulating early or late. Yes. If it changes. Right. Exactly. And generally like the follicular phase, which is the first half of the cycle when um, the egg follicles are maturing and estrogen is being released and all that sort of thing, everything prior to ovulation, that part of the cycle tends to be more variable in length. So sometimes it can be longer or shorter. Uh. The luteal phase of the cycle um, is generally about two weeks and it's, it's a lot less variable. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, stable unless you have um, failure to ovulate, which does happen, especially in women like Western women, all of us who are stressed out all the time. Um, you can get ovulatory disturbances fairly frequently. That makes sense. Um, did you, I mean, you, you probably know this study. Uh, it was a study on how women dress when they're ovulating. Yeah. Can you describe yeah. that a bit? Sure. So um, when women are ovulating, they tend to show more skin. Uh, they tend to wear sexier and more revealing clothing. And research even finds that they're more likely to wear the color red uh, relative to what you see outside the fertile window. Um, and this is just because women feel sexy at that time. They have an increase in sexual motivation and they also like feel sexier and they tend to feel better about themselves and, um, and they show it um, by going out and wearing less and um, yeah, dressing sexier. That's cool. It and is really I, cool. 
did you, there's something else I read. I don't remember where I read this, but, um, for, for men, supplementing testosterone can do like wonders, right? If you have low testosterone, it can take away your motivation, like you said, and your energy and your libido, and it can be awful. Um, I've read some stories of women accidentally getting testosterone cream or anything on themselves when they didn't need it and experiencing wild heightened sexual arousal. Have you, do you know anything about that? Is that true? I haven't heard of that, but that would be absolutely consistent with testosterone. So testosterone, um, it's a powerful sexual motivator in men, uh, but it also plays a role in women's sexual desire. So for women, sexual desire is really a function of like, well, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's relationship quality and all these other things. But in terms of the hormonal drivers, um, it's uh, estradiol or estrogen and then testosterone. And those two things together um, promote women's sexual desire. And in fact, one of the uh, therapies that especially women as they're going through the menopausal transition are given to help um, revive their libido is, is testosterone. That's cool. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Our hormones are awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, when women are going through like menopause and trying to figure that out, uh, is the supplement usually oral or can it be injected? Do the creams work? Do you know anything about that? Like, do these yeah, creams so work? Yeah. So the creams work like, um, the, cause they, they actually test whether or not women's hormones are changing in response to the treatments that they're given. That's and good. so there, yeah, there's a lot of research validating the, the use of the creams in terms of raising women's like estradiol levels, for example. Um, wow. so generally the cream is, um, is estrogen, um, but you can also get estrogen in a patch. And that's usually the way that estrogen is it is administered is with the is with a patch or with um, a cream, and then progesterone is a pill, um, and then testosterone it can be you can get an injection. There are pellets that you can get put subdermally they get under your skin, and then it releases a certain amount of testosterone every day. Um, and uh, and these are all, all sort of the the usual therapies that are included in menopausal hormone therapy. Cool. Okay. Well, Sarah, I think that answered my question. That taught me a bunch too. I didn't realize progestin. I know, I know it's called progestin. It's not called progesterone. I didn't realize that that was a s totally synthetic hormone that actively works on other hormones as opposed to just pure progesterone. That is concerning. So that's very good to know. And the fact that just taking natural hormones, like say for postmenopausal women, isn't the same as taking birth control. That's good to right. know too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just make sure that it is because some doctors do treat women <laughs> in the menopausal transition with birth control pills. Um, and so when you, if you're a woman who's going through the menopausal transition and you want to talk to your doctor about hormone therapy, just make sure that you're using the body identical um, progesterone and, um, and estrogen. And that's what most doctors use, but there are still some who prescribe birth control pills. Okay. Well, thank you. That was really yeah. interesting. Thanks very much. Yeah, of course. No, that was fun. 